Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone, and welcome to All Together, the Family Science Insights Podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Dina Sargent. Now, let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to another podcast. Marriage preparation. Are we ever prepared or is it just something that happens when we find the right person? Here to talk about it with me is Linda Bloom. Um, Hi, Linda. How are you going today? I'm doing great and I'm so happy to be here with you. That's so good. We're happy to have you here, definitely, to talk about marriage prep. Um, So tell me a bit about yourself and what got you into talking about marriage? Well, next month, I'm going to have my 50th wedding anniversary. And we're making a big bash because I'm just so jazzed to celebrate 50 years married to my beloved. And we're ecstatically happy now. We have a lot of harmony and cooperation and we really enjoy each other. But there was a time in our past where it didn't look too good for our marriage to be able to make it. And I want to tell you, we were both therapists at the time. Do you know, and just being a therapist and knowing about personal growth and um, the things that are supposed to hold us in really good stead, and they did in many ways, but you're not immune for the challenges that all couples have to go through more or less at some point. And we hit a very difficult spot where we had an irreconcilable difference that wouldn't give way. And so we brought out all of the things that we knew, and it still wouldn't give way, and we were in gridlock. And so that specialty of dealing with the differences that couples sometimes have that can be irritating and aggravating to the point where they can diminish the well-being of your relationship and your life in general, we were good students, always have been good students. So we learned about what great relationships are made of and particularly how to mend them and repair them if they get frayed around the edges. And so our breakdown became a breakthrough instead of a breakup. And then people wanted us to tell them, how did you do that? How did you make it? How did you get through that really dark time? So that's when we started teaching workshops for couples about how to have splendid relationships and use all the crappy stuff of your relationship as compost to bloom out of. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, 50 years surviving everything that you have. And I mean, being therapists, it's kind of like breaking the stereotype of expecting you to be um, perfect people right off the bat as well. So for you to both be therapists and um, going through something, yeah, it's definitely, it's mind-blowing that you've actually survived that you've come together. And I think it's beautiful the fact that you've even come together back again and worked through that together. 
It is miraculous that we survived the difficulty because some of the people that we were friendly with during that time didn't go through as difficult a hardship, but they lost their relationship and their families broke up. So it's miraculous. And also we rolled up our sleeves and we did a lot of really hard work. And I think that there was some luck involved because we got some good guidance from people in the graduating class ahead of us. And we had some exquisite guidance. Some authors guided us, some workshop leaders guided us, some therapists guided us. And we did use what we learned. And this stuff really works if you work it. And so it it isn't just that we survive, but we're thriving. Do you understand that we really are enjoying each other now and the co-creative process of writing together and teaching together and seeing couples together is really, we're very both really enthusiastic about it. Well, it's amazing. And I love the difference that you use between the surviving and thriving. Like it is, it's such a big step and also such a big difference that people don't usually talk about as well, for sure. Um, so before we sort of get started into why we brought you here today, we want to get to know a little bit more about you. So mm-hmm. we've come up with a little game of have you met have you met you? And uh-huh. so basically five different topics and just say the first thing that sort of comes to your head um, when I list them out. Be happy to. Okay. So the first one is your favorite book. Oh, um, you know, there is a book by a mentor of mine who's passed away now. His name is Stephen Levine. And his book is called Who Dies? Now, some people might think that's really morbid, but I didn't find the book one bit morbid. Mm-hmm. He speaks in his book about living life to the fullest, even as if every day on this earth would be the last day that we have. And that if we live to the fullest, if we give and receive love with the people who are precious to us, by the time we get to the end of our life, it will be okay to drop our old, worn out, used up body, because we'll have really lived it up. And we won't be, you know, so reluctant to let go. And I find that such an inspiring thought. So it's definitely one of my my favorites. Mm-hmm. Okay, wow. Um, how about your favorite movie? Okay, I'll tell you what my favorite movie is. I just watched it for the second time last night. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not my favorite all time, but I'm very... Uh, wild about this movie. It's Emma Thompson's most recent movie. And it's called Good Luck to You, Leo Grande. It's a very unusual story. And it's a personal growth story. And those are my favorite stories. And she has a transformative experience in that um, encounter with Leo Grande. And I just thought she was so brave and she was so courageous and she plays the part so well. I think she should get an Academy Award. And I loved it so much. I was talking to my friends and they didn't get Hulu. I said, come to my house and watch it with us. 
And so we watched it last night. I saw it for the second time and I loved it the second time too. <laughs> no, I've seen that movie and I completely agree with you that it is it is a spectacular piece of work, honestly. How about your favorite podcast? My favorite podcast? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, I'm watching a series of them right now. And they're all about trauma and recovering from trauma. And Terrence Real interviewed some of the biggest names in the field about what happens in childhood, in adolescence, in young adulthood. Maybe it's a health crisis, maybe it's a financial crisis, some kind of personal traumatic experience, and how to recover. And I'm, I'm so inspired by all of the stories. And some of these therapists and teachers talk about their own personal experience, which really lights me up. Um, I so prefer it than the, the people who stand behind their book learning. I feel when they bring their own personal experience into it, it's so much more alive. So uh, I'm definitely a, a sucker for the books for the movies about transformation and about the podcasts who show the before and after about the fall down, get up about the begin again, begin again, begin again. I'm so inspired by that because we can be so much more than we know Mm -hmm. if we incrementally just keep on keeping on. (laughs) No, that's totally true. (laughs) And I love, I also do love seeing the difference between where they started and where they're at now just by their personal understanding of themselves is such a big part. I refer to them as the ordinary heroes. Yes. I think that is a good one. Many heroes who are flashy and they're on the news, you know, they're in the media, but there's some heroic things going on Mm -hmm. behind closed doors and nobody sees or not very many see. You know, Emma Thompson plays that character in, Le- yeah. in Leo Grande. That is a heroic act on her part. And um, particularly if it's a woman hero, those really inspire me. Yeah. No, I'm the same with you as well. I think um, I watched, oh, who was it? Reese Witherspoon's Wild about five or six times. And that That's is... An ins- piece yes it's a big it's a big heavy piece of work but it is pretty amazing and it's transformation yeah I can't get enough of those um you know Diana Nyad do you know the swimmer she was in her 60s she was no spring chicken when she she swam from Cuba to Florida yeah in in infested seas. I mean, she didn't know if a shark was going to bite her and they had all these box jellyfish. If enough of them sting you, you can die. Yeah. And she, I don't know, it was like 72 hours or 64 hours or some amazing amount that she swam consistently. She had done it. She tried to do it before and failed. And by God, she wanted to try it again. 
And she had a tremendous support team on the boat, you know, people who were encouraging her. Mm -hmm. But basically, she was in the water day and night, you know, having to find strength she didn't even know she had, to find courage she didn't even know she had. And I was so inspired by what she said when she finally climbs up onto the to the sand, you know, when she reaches the beach and she she is triumphant in her divination. Her her um, goal is is reached, and she said, "Just don't ever quit." Mm-hmm. Do you know? It's so simple yeah. but profound. Just don't quit. Just stay at it. Just keep at it. Yeah, no, for sure. I think um, it's very inspirational when they're that kind of character, especially, I agree, especially if it's female characters. Somehow they sort of hit a lot harder to me. Yeah, um, we identify. Yes, I think that's that's definitely true. Um, how about a favorite course you've completed? Course? Yes. Yes. Um, you know, I've taken a lot of courses in my life, Um, there was a period of time where I would every single season take a course Mm -hmm. and just to keep my personal growth going. And there's one that I took just a few years ago that stands out in the recent crowd. And I took it with Harville Hendricks. And there were 50 couples, and I was the only one that wasn't coupled up. <laughs> he let me come because I was a therapist, and he knew that I wanted to have firsthand information of his class mm-hmm. so that I could refer my clients and students to him for further work. And the most important thing that I have gotten from Harville Hendricks, and he's a beautiful teacher with many wonderful things to offer, that people want so deeply to trust that they are heard. Do you know that when we deliver a message that the person that we care about really gets the message that we sent, that it's not distorted. And so one of his profound teachings is to give them feedback when they send a message to us. What I hear you saying is, and then paraphrase it. Mm-hmm. And if they get it wrong, you say, no, that's not quite it. They have a chance to do a do-over. And maybe you have to do a few do-overs because don't we take too many liberties, you know, and things can be quite distorted. And how satisfying it is to be gotten. Do you know when the other person who we want so much to really understand what we feel, what we need, what lights us up, what turns us off, what's going to make the relationship splendid, what's diminishing the splendidness of it. And I will always be grateful to Harville Hendricks for that gift that he gave me that I've passed on to hundreds of people now. No, that's that's incredible. And especially um, having that that understanding as well, like just just being able to talk with the actual person who came up with this method or this technique is pretty incredible. Yes. Yes. So um, we brought you here today to talk about marriage preparation. Um, So what do you think a family is? Well, my definition of family has really expanded over time. Mm 
You know, a lot of people just think about mother, father, children, sister, brother, aunts, uncles, grandparents, um, cousins. That's our blood family, our family of origin. But because people move all over the country, all over the world, and they're not in each other's life as much as in times past when people stayed in the community, often they stayed in the community, in the county they were born, in the state where they were born, but people are so much more mobile now. And they're not in each other's lives for birthdays and anniversaries and Thanksgiving and Christmas and you know Valentine's Day and all the special occasions. It's so wonderful when family can have reunions for those, but so much of it, so much of our life has changed now that I have come to think of family of choice, that these people are precious to us just as our blood relatives are. And, and many of these people hopefully will be in our life indefinitely, all our life, but they are not related to us by blood. They're our heart connections. Mm-hmm. And I always recommend uh, to people that I work with Find your people. Your blood relatives might not be exactly your people. They may have different values. They may have different politics. They may have different life goals. I don't want you to reject your family. I want you to, you know, have a special place in your heart always for your blood relatives as much as you possibly can. But don't be limited because there are other people who may be more your tribe more your value system, more your life goals. Mm -hmm. And so cultivate those people, go on a quest for them, collect them over time, give of yourself to them just as if you were blood relatives with them. From generosity of spirit, show your appreciation and gratitude in all the ways that you can and create reciprocal agreements with them that they stay in close touch with you, that they visit with you. And maybe they're the ones that come to celebrate Christmas and New Year's and Thanksgiving and Easter and your anniversary. Mm -hmm. I'm only going to have a very small handful of blood relatives at my 50th wedding anniversary party that's coming up in a month. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to have an abundance of my flock there. family of choice is coming and I am so grateful that they're going to celebrate this big deal it's a big deal in my life having this party and I just want it to be wonderful and we are going to have a ceremony I got a veil I'm going to wear a white dress and we have some of our family of choice that are going to do blessings and congratulation messages and sing songs and bring poems and we're going to you know have have um inclusiveness so that we're, we're really celebrating because it's a milestone. And I want the people who are so precious to me in my life know how much they mean to me. Mm-hmm. Do you know? So yeah. I get to acknowledge them too. No, I think, I think that's really true, especially when you see it as friends that turn into family very easily. And there are a lot of people. I mean, I grew up away from all of my 
blood relatives. So it's just been my sister and my parents and I for basically my entire life. And we've picked up people along the way who've slowly become family to us because they're sort of our makeshift family, our chosen family. And it's it's really different when you have friends that are also family members that become family than if you just have blood relatives. I mean, it would be nice to have blood relatives, but having people that you consider family blood or not i don't think i don't think blood makes family anyway in my opinion it doesn't necessarily mean that they're family i feel like the definition of family is who you choose to have in your life and not only you're not always going to get be close with your blood relatives you're not always going to know them you're not always going to want to know them but family and blood relatives are very very different in my opinion that's right and all the creative people they branch out they're not limited you yes. know yes so, some of our relatives can be very difficult and some of them can be downright toxic some yep. of those people you have to just love them from afar we wouldn't want to spend too much time with them some people maybe not any time with them and but we we need to bond with people. We need to give and receive love, care, learning, do you know? And so when we find those chosen ones, we can have a very rich and full life. And without it, I don't think we can have as rich and full a life. And I'm a flaming extrovert. So I know the introverted people do better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they enjoy themselves in their their inner life but even yeah. the introverts need a social system and i um i'm not sure how it is in in australia i'm assuming that it's better than here in the states we have an epidemic of loneliness in this country mm-hmm. and it's it's very serious even the american psychological association is saying it's it's a very, very big and challenging pro- problem. Mm-hmm. It isn't in the media the way smoking is damaged to your health, obesity is damaged to your health, do you know? But this is as damaging as smoking and obesity is. It just doesn't get the media coverage. There are mm-hmm. a lot of people who live alone who are very sad living alone because, you know, we have such a competitive, individualistic, toxically individualistic society here in the States. And so I'm always working with people to reach out, call, Zoom, make sure that people know, text them, FaceTime, stay connected, do it on a frequent basis. I know it's vulnerable. I know you'll have to take some rejection. We all have to. But the only choices are is letting people know how much they mean to you and that you want to get together with them and are they available and have a long list of people to keep reaching out to or else be isolated and lonely and your quality of life is going to go down. Those are the only two choices. Yep. No, that's definitely true. 
So do you think it, that the f- definition of family holds the same importance as it was decades ago? I think that family is always going to be important. Mm-hmm. I think it's extremely, exquisitely important. And I, I always encourage the people that I work with, even who have relatives that find it difficult to get along with, make your best effort. Even if that particular relative drives you up the wall, see if you can be with them. Take it on as lessons in patience and forgiveness. Maybe you want to imagine that they're handicapped, you know, they're emotionally handicapped. Their handicap doesn't show, but they may be emotionally handicapped. And it's just like a person that's in a wheelchair. You have some compassion and some patience for them. They can't do some things that other people can do. Mm-hmm. But to try as best we can to preserve our relationships with our literal blood relatives. And hopefully they'll make allowances for us because we're not always a walk in the park to get along with ourselves. To, to do what we can, but just don't be impoverished emotionally if our blood family can't really give us the support, the inspiration, the encouragement, um, the cel- celebrate with us our successes. Maybe for whatever reasons, they're too limited. They can't see what our life goals are. They can't see what lights us up. They can't see, you know, what would be huge success and that we will want to celebrate that with them. They, they do the best they can. Family members do the best they can, do you know? And they sometimes fall short of the mark. And so we need to supplement with other people who can really meet us where we need to be met. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's definitely true. So going into talking a bit more about marriage and specifically between two people, two people in a family, how would you define marriage preparation? Marriage preparation is being awake and aware that marriage is not just going to flow just because you love each other and just because you get married, that it's all just going to happen by itself, that we need to be causal agents, that we need to realize that the beauty and the fulfillment that comes from marriage is the top of the successes that we're going to co-create in our life. Parenting is the other one. They don't come too much bigger than this. And so if we go in with our eyes wide open, that I better get a learner's permit here. I better not just get married and then figure it out then. Do you know, I better uh, be thinking about what do I need to do to get myself ready for this marriage? Not just the wedding. That's only one day. The marriage that's going to be five, six decades. I need to pay attention to becoming who I can become so I can be the best possible partner and inspire them to become the best possible partner to fit with me, mm-hmm. to get along with me. And so there are qualities that I can be cultivating now preparatory to the marriage. 
there's a whole bunch of skills that I can be preparing now. Communication skills, conflict management skills, learning how to handle differences well, negotiation skills. You have needs, I have needs, we're going to negotiate so we can both get most of our needs, the important ones met. Boundary setting is an important skill. Do you know there's a lot of skills, not the least of which is repairing after breakdowns happen. In addition to the skills and the qualities like patience, like compassion, like empathy, like courage, in addition to the, the qualities and the skills, then there's mastering the art of the fine questions, the best questions. And these, I always encourage the couples that I work with before they even move in together, before they get married legally, have the deep communication about the important questions. Like, are you planning to have children? I would like to have children. Do you want to have children? It blows my mind that sometimes people just assume this, but they never ask and find out. Mm -hmm. And maybe one person in the pair wants to have one child and that's enough for them. And the other person's thinking about a houseful and they want at least two or three and they need to negotiate and see if they're on the same page. There aren't a lot of deal breakers, but if one person wants a child and the other person doesn't, that can be in the deal breaker category. They need to have conversations about what if, what if our bodies don't create the child that we want? A lot of people have issues with infertility and they, they go to the you know, best infertility clinics and they spend a lot of money and they go through a lot of ordeals and their body still won't do it. And it, to have a conversation about if we had to face the opportunity to adopt a child would you get behind that? Because that could be a deal breaker too. If somebody's hell-bent on having a child and the other person says, only if we can have our own biological child, I don't want anybody's child with other genes in it, that could be a deal breaker. So about children, about money, about sexuality, about in-laws, there may be one in the pair who says, the way we do it in our family is when the parents get old if they're too feeble to be on their own and they need care. We don't put them in a home in our family. Mm -hmm. We take them into the home. And if it were my mom or my dad, I would need to know that you are going to get behind. They're going to come and live with us, even if they need a lot of care. Are you going to get behind that? And the other person says, we don't do it like that in our family. I'm not having it. Okay. Do you know that... You can't just assume that all these things are going to work out. Who stays home with the baby after the baby comes? He might just assume she's going to stay home. She says, I've got a knock them dead career too. I'm not going to get, get off of the career track. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stay home a few months and then I'd like to see you take some paternity leave and be home too. And if one person gets job charming offer, do, you, do we automatically leave if you get job charming offer, either his or hers? Mm -hmm. No, not necessarily. We'd have to agree together or we're not moving. 
If my job is flourishing and you get a job charming offer, you maybe don't just assume that you're going to take it. We make these decisions together. Or however the couple decides, they're going to make the decisions about baby money, in-laws moving, health problems, and whatever. And I say, you cannot anticipate all of the things that are going to come up. You're going to be sure to get some surprises. But there's some givens that most couples have to field. And if you can anticipate those, do some preliminary work ahead of time so you're not blindsided when they come later. Mm -hmm. No, I I definitely think... Um, so this goes so definitely flows into my next question. How does marriage preparation affect families? If you do some serious work <laughs> before you even get married, you're laying down a sturdy foundation. So by the time you're living together, by the time you're having children, by the time you're having uh, life throw you a curve with a financial, professional, or medical problem, or one of the children's sick, or one of the you know parents is ill, by the time you're really challenged, you're steady, steadier together. And that's why it's always a good idea to do as much. I'm a planner. So I think that it's really served me well in my life. Do you know the week, the first week that I knew my husband? Mm -hmm. I told him, look, I was involved with a man and I loved him very much and wanted to marry him, but he didn't want to have kids and I had to leave him. I'm already falling for you. We've only been together a week. I know I'm falling in love with you. If you don't want to have children, please tell me now. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, one day I want to have children, not right away, <laughs> but I do want to have children in my future. So I said, okay, I can relax about that one. But I want you to know it's really important to me that I have a career. If you want to stay at home, mommy, I'm not your gal. Mm -hmm. I want to have a career and I want a partner who's going to raise the kids with me and we will mutually support each other's careers and bring up the kids together. Are you up for partnership? And he said, yes, I would want my wife to have a career. I want my wife to work. I'm seeing it. I'm visioning with you and seeing it the way you're seeing it. If we work out together, yes, you can count on me for that. But could we slow down a little bit? I think I shocked the poor guy. Do you know? But I, I was proud of myself that I didn't dilly-dally around, that I was frank and authentic and I didn't want to waste more time because I didn't waste the two years that I was with the man before him, but it came to me as a shocker. You know, I just assumed things and I didn't have the guts actually to have the hard conversations with him earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I learned from my experience. <laughs> well, I think that's good. I think it's really hard. Um, I mean, having those conversations, I think it's always really difficult um, for me personally as well, to have them, to know when to have them. Sometimes like I have them too early and I mean, similar to what happened with your husband, they get scared and walk away because it's like they feel rushed into it. But 
I mean, I'm like you, I don't want to waste time. And it's important to not waste the time if you don't, if there's no future in there. So it's sometimes it is difficult to judge when to have those conversations where you're both ready to have them. It's tricky. And I believe that it's a good rule of thumb to err on the side of sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. And there is a way in which you can give the person that you're posing the question to an out if they're too freaked out and they're not ready to address it. And you just do a little preliminary remarks and you say, I've got some questions on my mind. I would like free to be free to pose them to you. If you feel that I'm rushing you or you're on the spot or you need time to think about it, be honest with me and tell me, and I can take a step back. But would you be willing to hear some of the things I have on my mind? Do you see how that gives them a chance? Mm-hmm. If, they're, if they're really not ready, they can draw a boundary with you because you gave them the invitation, the engraved invitation, that you're not demanding that they tell you right now. You're just inviting them to look at this with you. Mm-hmm. And how important are, is it to have the, those conversations before marriage? Uh-huh. As many as you can anticipate all of the things that are on your heart and mind, discuss it all. Mm-hmm. And I believe that it's really important because there's so many things that come up that you can't anticipate. But if you have fielded a lot of things already, the chances are good that the surprise ones you're going to be able to handle pretty gracefully too. They're not going to knock you down and mow you down, you know? Mm -hmm. So what topics... For example, should someone discuss with their partner? And how do these topics relate to marital problems among newlyweds? Here's a popular one. She assumes that when they're married, he's not going to have so many nights out with the guys. And he assumes that after they're married, that he's still going to have plenty of nights out with the guys. They're going to go to the baseball games and they're going to go to the basketball games and they're going to go to the soccer meets, you know, and that hmm, my guys have always been a really important part of my life. And I expect they're going to be a really important part of my life. And then he's kind of surprised that after they got married, she's got this idea of marriage in her mind that he's not out so many nights a week. It can go the other way too that the woman is very involved in her women's book group and in her political organization that she's a part of. And she's got these, you know, people that she paints with and another group that she does tiles with and the other person she does, she does clay, do you know? And she's with her women all the time and he may feel neglected. We're married now. And in my vision about marriage, do you know that we spend most of our time together I don't want to keep you from your women friends. I don't want to keep you from your men friends. But my my model of marriage is that we spend a lot of time together. If you're with your guys once or twice a week, I, I could 
I can be okay on that, but three or four times a week seems like you still want to be a single guy. Do you know these kinds of conversations are important because sometimes people are shocked to find out they're not on the same page and anticipating those. Sometimes the issues are around sexuality. Do you know that, oh, well, we're married now. We don't need to be making love every day, do you know? And maybe she still wants to, or maybe he still wants to. So they would have some discussion because maybe they think that after the the newlywed period is over that sex falls off in frequency. And that can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So for the people that it's really important to, they need to negotiate for your needs and say, even if your libido is not as high as mine, I got a high one. And so I want from the spirit of generosity for you to meet me there, you know, and to talk about sexuality after the kids come. You're sleep deprived. I'm hoping that you're going to be patient with me because I don't have I don't have too much energy for anything. <laughs> About all the energy I have is take a shower and wash my hair. The rest of the time, I'm just tending to this this new being in our family. But to have those kinds of conversations, I think, creates goodwill. Mm-hmm. And people are less likely to be blindsided about those issues. There's another one that's a big one that crops up a lot and that frequently people don't talk about before they are in a committed partnership. And it's how much time they spend together and how much time they spend apart. Mm-hmm. And some people are very introverted and they need a lot of solitude and they, they just can't be with their partner and their partner shouldn't take it personally. that They don't love them. They may love and adore them. They just fill their tank up by being alone, you know, and they need to have some time walking in the forest alone, not a joint walk or behind a closed door in the bedroom or the office or somewhere where they can be alone. And the extroverts, that would be me, needs a lot of togetherness time. Mm-hmm. I like to do the mushy stuff. I like the touchy-feely stuff. I looked a little like to look in his eyes and soul gaze and play kissy face and caress and do massage and all of this. And conversation. I like to talk things over. I figure out what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling and where I'm going in my life while I'm talking. He likes to sit contemplatively and I like to talk. So I have my dialing for dollars list with about 30 people on it. Now that's my, that's my real wealth in life. And I, I'm too much interactional to burden one person with. And so I have a whole raft of people that I talk to and be with and do things with because I like to go and do and talk a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's very important to know what your style of being in the world is and not to have the expectation that your partner's going to be interacting with you, you know, most of the time if you're an interactor. And if you're the quiet one who needs a lot of quiet and solitude, not to expect that your partner just going to automatically give that to you. You two need to know each other well enough, trust each other, and respect each other enough to see to it that the other person thrives. Mm-hmm. Here's one that comes up a lot. The way people want to be loved. It's different mm-hmm. for everybody. 
I will admit I'm a touchaholic. Mm-hmm. And when I take the inventory about your favorite way to get loved, I got the maximum amount of points you can get because I just love touch. I didn't get any points at all for gifts. Yep. But other people, you know, they they want that ring. They want those pretty earrings. They want, you know, they want the things. And uh, if somebody doesn't know that about their partner, that they want to be loved by little gifts, you know, pick up blueberries at the supermarket. Even if you don't like them, they like them. Bring them home the blueberries. Do you know the gifts mean something? For other people, gifts is a non, non-issue. They only want the acts of service. It means so much to me if you groom me and you brush my hair, you massage my feet. It means so much to me when you do the laundry or you wash the dishes or you make me an apple pie. Some people want the acts of service. Some people are just not feeling loved if they don't have the words. They want to hear, I love you, I respect you, I trust you, I adore you. When my husband says I love you to me, I say, give me the details. Mm-hmm. I want to know the specifics. What are you loving me about in this moment? So some people, it's all about the quality time that they spend together. And if they love symphony, maybe the other person doesn't like going to classical music and listening to symphony. But they say, it means so much to me to share going to the symphony with you. And you love them the way they want to be loved. And if they want to go to the Shakespearean play, but you're not into the Shakespearean play, you go to the Shakespearean play because they want to share that. That's quality time. Do you know? And some people, it's all about being in nature. They want to hike in the forest. They want to be in the ocean. You know, they want to walk the beach. And it may not be your cup of tea as much but because they feel loved when they share that experience. That's the highest quality time is to have the beauties of nature and watch that sunset. And you're right there with them holding hands. They feel so loved. So these conversations are critical for people to know about each other. It's, it's primo preparation for marriage to know your partner so well and what lights them up, how they feel fulfilled, how they don't have any doubt about how loved they are. They're mainlining it from you in the way that nourishes them, which might be really different than what nourishes you. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think one of the biggest myths that I've sort of seen um, and heard in relationships is that they can read your mind. And like that's... That's the thing that always, I always get told that. I mean, my partner should read my mind. They should understand. I'm like, that doesn't work like that. You don't, you you can't read that person's mind at all unless you don't, unless you tell them how you're feeling. And they may love and adore you. You may be totally precious to them. Mm -hmm. You may be the most important person in the world and they do want to serve you at the highest but they're not a mind reader. Yeah. Now, do you know that we wrote a book about myths? I think you my told me. I, yeah, yeah, my husband and I have written four books 
And one of them is Happily Ever After and 39 Other Myths About Love. And this is one of the ones that got me in trouble for a long time because mm -hmm. I thought, too bad he doesn't love me very much. I know he loves me some, but he just doesn't love me so fully that he anticipates my needs and I don't have to ask. And if he really loved me, he'd know, he'd know that what I want is just for him to throw his arms around me and, and hug me and kiss me and tell me that I'm wonderful. And he's reading a book. And if he, if he really loved me, he would know that I'm longing for him right now. It's so much BS. And what, for a long time, I suffered unnecessarily, but I didn't know any better. I didn't know that I was afraid of getting vulnerable and sticking my neck out to ask for what I wanted because maybe he would refuse. Mm -hmm. Now, when I finally got my courage up and I started going public with my prayer and asking for what I wanted, I usually wasn't disappointed. He, he usually said, thank you for telling me. You know, and, and I just, I want to be there for you in the way that you want, when you want, if I can. And that was a major turning point. Mm -hmm. No, I think, yeah. When you get vulnerable and you risk asking, <laughs> you get more of what you need. I think it's really hard because it's like, how do you go about, you don't want to be telling them everything about you. You sort of want them to learn, but they can't learn without you sharing that part of you as well. So yeah. it's an edge to play. Mm -hmm. You know, that we, we invite them. We don't demand and we don't command and we don't have a hard edge on our voice. We're soft about the way we do it. We can be a yeah. little playful the way we do it. And one of the good rules of thumb is to give what you want to receive. Do you know, I'm, I'm so touchaholic and I want to, I want to hold hands and I want to hug and I want to kiss. Those are so meaningful to me. And my husband's a more self-contained system. Mm -hmm. So if I was feeling like, geez, I really wish he would just come and throw his arms around me and hug me tight, I'd go hug him. And if I was longing for a kiss, I'd go kiss him. Yeah. And if I was longing for a, I love you so much, I go over to him and look him in the eye and I say, I love and adore you. You're my favorite person on this earth. I think you're such a magnificent human being. I love your values. Do you know? And that would set up such an energetic that often some would come back to me. I wasn't just giving to get. Do you know? It was purer than that. I was yeah. feeling like I wanted to connect to him, so I went and connected to him. And lo and behold, he would connect to me. Yeah. No, I think that's... So what are some other common misconceptions or mistakes about marriage prep? I think that sometimes people get hung up on the prenups. Do you know, they're, they're a little paranoid that the relationship's not going to work out. They're going to end up divorced and they're going to lose their retirement fund. And so they got to get it all in order. And if that's going to give people more peace of mind, I definitely think they should do it. But um, marriage is so much more than an economic arrangement. And the, the economics 
part, the financial part can, can be worked out. Um, but the emotional part, I think, is so much more demanding. The issues around trust, the issues about um, understanding, about empathy, about stretching into the other person's world. It's an art form, and it takes literally years for most of us to get good at it. And I think it's a popular misconception that just because we love each other, it's supposed to fall in place. People do not have this kind of mythology about career development. They know you got to get a skill set. They know you got to get mentors to teach you. They know that you got to have many repetitions. You got to have staff meetings. If you're going to get excellent in your career and get the promotions and the raises, you got to got to work at it. But somehow the romantic idea is that a romantic partnership is supposed to just happen by itself, that you don't have to work at it. So I'm always trying to blow that myth up right away. We, we wrote another um, book. We've, we've got four out there in, in the world so far. We've got another one coming at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. It's called 101 Things I Wish I Knew When I Got Married. Now, I want to tell you this 101 things that, that ended up in the book was narrowed down from 300. Wow. That's how much we didn't know yeah. when we got married. We were young. We were young and dumb and had all these romantic notions. And we, we, didn't, we didn't know these things. When my husband's little sister was going to get married, she asked him to speak at the wedding. So he was going through all of these books, um, some beautiful books, you know, um, of poetry but they would deal with one aspect of marriage. And he was frustrated because he couldn't find something that he felt was comprehensive enough. I said, well, why don't you write something yourself? So he sat down and he wrote down 20. He just started with 20. The 20 things he wished that we had some wise elder in our family had told us to save us some trouble. We wish we had a mother or father or grandmother or grandfather or aunt or uncle, some wise person in the family. We didn't have anybody like that. So we had to figure it all out, <laughs> most of it out on our own, or, or go find spiritual teachers to teach us. So he wrote these 20 things down, and he had a very impactful delivery at the wedding. Mm-hmm. Totally upstaged the clergy who was performing the ceremony. Mm-hmm. And everybody in the pews are doing this, they're elbowing. <laughs> Your partner, I've been trying to tell you this, you know. And so he was he was deluged after the ceremony. People saying, Can I have a copy of that? You gotta publish that. Whoa, that was really something. So <clears throat> we decided that we 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 would publish it. But on the ride home from Los Angeles from the wedding to our, where we were living at, in wine country in Sonoma. We just kept brainstorming more of them and more of them. And I wish somebody had told us this. And I wish somebody had told us that. And I wish somebody had told us that one of the most important gifts that you give your partner is your own happiness. Mm -hmm. And I wish somebody had told us that one of the most important questions that you ask your partner is how may I best love you? And I wish somebody, you know, had told us that sometimes Marriage can be like a cold winter when things are frozen. 
and you start to wonder whether it's ever going to be spring again. But then spring comes. I wish somebody had told us this. So that's how we, we got lots of them, and then we narrowed it down to the 101. But it's full of the things that people need to be thinking about and talking about with each other to prepare for marriage. And if you've already gotten married and you miss some, it's not too late to go and do it then. Yeah. And it deals with all of the essential parts of marriage. Like, how do you define marriage? What does marriage mean to you? Do you think you have some romantic illusions about marriage? If you have some romantic fantasies, what would they be? Maybe we can bust them up right now and save ourselves some trouble. Mm-hmm. How do you define commitment? And people define commitment differently. Some people think commitment, you know, it actually, this is one of the definitions in the dictionary. Commitment as to a prison or a mental hospital. And they think about commitment about being locked up in a cell, you know? And then the other person says, well, I don't think commitment like that. That's all about loss and sacrifice and giving up all your freedom. I think about commitment as a cornucopia. Do you know that when you commit, then you put your your two gardens together and you've got more lush, nourishing, you know, organic vegetables to nourish your life. And these kind of conversations, how do you define a fair fight? What's an unfair fight distinct from a fair fight? These are all covered in in the 101 things I wish I knew when I got married. We didn't hardly discuss any of these things before we got married. We went into it willy-nilly, you know, kind of on a faith and a prayer, and we learned it later. It would have saved us trouble if we had some wise elder to say, you guys really need to sit down and talk about some of these things first. So I definitely see that, especially when it comes to they refer to a ring or marriage as like a ball and chain. And I absolutely hate that saying. I don't understand it. I don't know why. But that's how a lot of, in particular men that I've like, I've, been friends with they see marriage as just being stuck like you have to be at a certain level before you can get married they don't see it as a place where you can grow from they see it as a destination rather than a journey so seeing that is probably one of the reasons why I mean especially do you think that could be one of the reasons why a lot of people in this day and age There are a lot more single people than there are together people. I think that that's true. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the United States, this is the first time in history of the entire country that there have been more single women than married women. Mm -hmm. It's a big change. Marriage is actually going out of vogue around the world. Yeah. And I think that there are many people who see marriage as kind of an old-fashioned, outmoded model that's outlived its usefulness. I don't see it that way. I value marriage. I think marriage is the best thing that's ever happened to me. But I don't think that I define marriage the way some other people do, with that ball and chain mentality. Mm -hmm. There truly 
are some sacrifices that do need to be made when you get married. Mm-hmm. There's some sacrifices that need to be made when you move in together. There's sacrifices that need to be made when you com- commit yourself, that you're a committed partnership, whether you do it legally or not. Mm-hmm. There truly are sacrifices that need to be made. But the sacrifices that are made, in my view, are so worth it to have the trust, to have the sealed container. If you choose monogamy, that you forsake all others as lovers, there's a security that comes with that and the competitiveness and the jealousy and the things that um, may really harm the primary relationship get eliminated that way. That's not everybody's choice, and I respect the people who choose polyamory, and if that's the right choice for them, I think that's great that they're out in the open about it. But it's, it's a hard way to go because of so many issues that, that flare up. There's some, it's not a moral thing <laughs> on my part. It's a practical thing. Mm-hmm. I believe that it's hard enough to make one relationship fabulous, that if you start siphoning off energy to others and you have other lovers, that it, it can take away some of the vital life force that is necessary for the monogamous relationship to thrive. Mm-hmm. But I think people get caught in how many things they would have to give up, how many things they would have to sacrifice without seeing that yes, you do give up your freedoms to do some things. You can't be out with the guys every night of the week. If you have a family, if you have a wife, if you have children, you need to be home and be with the family more than you were when you were a single guy. But the freedom to be who you are, the freedom to be loved as is with your, we're all such a mixed bag with your magnificence and with your flaws and with our signature strengths that are dazzling and our unique gifts to the give to the world and our magnificent failures, you know, and our weak suits. And it is such a privilege and it's such an honor to have one person in our life who knows us deeply, knows everything about us, our mixed bag, and loves us as we are. That is, in my book, that's hitting the jackpot. I just don't think it gets better than that. And part of the price of admission is a full-hearted commitment. These people that you're talking about, there are a lot of commitment-phobic people out there. They're not all men either. Most of them are men, but they're not all men. There's some commitment-phobic women too, they still see marriage and committed partnership as more trouble than it's worth, more, sa- more sacrifice than it's worth, more dangerous than it's worth. Mm-hmm. A lot of these people come from families that their, their parents weren't happy, maybe broke, broke the marriage, maybe they come from divorce. And one sure way, sure way that they can prevent divorce is never to get married. So they're busy preventing divorce, but while they're busy preventing divorce, they're preventing the possibility 
of having an exemplary, exhilarating, enthusiastic, fulfilling partnership. And the research is very clear about the couples that cohabitate versus the couples that marry. The couples that marry report longevity and happiness that exceeds the ones that cohabitate. The cohabitating couples, even on a, on a small level, have a foot in the back door. If it gets too hard, we're out of here. And it is easier to leave cohabitating relationship, even though it's hard to leave those. It is, it's a different entanglement legally, and it's a different entanglement psychologically and emotionally when marriage is there. Mm-hmm. This definitely fits in with the questions from audience that we've gotten. Um, first of all, is it important to have a certain mindset before getting married? Have which kind of a mindset? Have a certain, is it to be oh, like a certain, certain mindset. mindset? Yes. Yes. And I believe that the best possible mindset, this would be committed. Mm-hmm. I am committed. Not committed as in till death do us part. Not that kind of commitment. That's how a lot of people think about commitment. Sometimes people think about it till death do us part, even if our relationship is killing us. Not that kind. Mm -hmm. The commitment is to use everything that the relationship tosses up as an opportunity to learn. Uh, Learn about myself. Learn about my partner. Learn about how the world works. Learn about relationship. Learn about love. Do you see? It's a commitment to the process of growing together, learning together. And that's a mighty commitment. So that that would be the certain mindset that I would recommend. Okay. So what are some signs we need to know if we and our partners, our partner is ready to get married? Um, there, there are signs that it's a felt sense. I feel comfortable mm-hmm. with you. I feel at ease with you. I feel like I can let my image down with you. I can be real and authentic. I can be quiet with you. I don't feel like I have to fill up every minute, you know, with conversation. Mm-hmm. It's a felt sense. I enjoy you. I feel that we're compatible. I rest into a quiet mind that we're generally going in the same direction. The vision for the life that we want to build together is similar enough. And that the values that we each hold dear mm-hmm. are overlapping, not necessarily identical that we both have interests in common, that we both are passionate and enthusiastic about our interests, even the ones that are different from each other, but we respect the differences. Do you see? We're not going to homogenize. The research with the couples that have been put together for 50 years 
they still have the differences that they came in with 50 years ago. The happy ones have just made a big space (laughs) for it all to float. Mm -hmm. But you want to feel that you have values in common, interests in common enough that you feel that sense of, ah, ah, I can enjoy a life with you for the rest of my life. In fact, I'm looking forward to that. Okay, let's dive in and do this thing. Mm-hmm. And how, what are some differences between marriage preparation in the past and now? Well, you know that there were many generations where it was much more an economic arrangement. Mm-hmm. You know, she brings a cow and four chickens and a goat, and mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> he brings 16 chickens and two cows. So there was a long time when the family made the arrangements and it was economic and the women stayed in the relationship because they didn't have their own careers and their own money and they really needed the economic arrangement. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, people really want to have personal growth and fulfillment. It's not about the economics. It's not about material well-being or that kind of security. You know, there's an element in that. But right now, we have evolved as a society enough that that isn't so much of a consideration anymore. And so now, people are looking for somebody that they can really thrive with, that they can grow with, that they can enjoy life with, not just survive, but to thrive. Mm -hmm. And so I think things are very different now. People people want that. And it's it's a ha- it's a have to. It's a must have. And if they don't feel that they're going to be happy and fulfilled and and enjoy life, then they don't want to have it at all. And I think it's raising the bar and that's a good thing. I want people to have a high high gold standard. Mm. So basically, it's before you needed to get married. Now it's more like you want to get married. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. So is it for now, for now times, is it sort of more of a choice as to whether or not you want to get married? So if there's a choice that you don't, how is, why is there still such a big societal pressure to get married? Well, I think a lot of it comes for the concern about the well-being of children. Mm -hmm. Because children do better when they're raised by two parents. Mm -hmm. And when your child exhausting you and driving you nuts, you need somebody to spell (laughs) you to take care of them for a few minutes while you go catch your breath. Because it's a long time that you spend raising children. And it can be a demanding and challenging period in your life. Mm -hmm. And if, if the container of the family is not solid, the chances aren't as great that the children will grow up with a very solid foundation as a launching pad for them into their lives. So I think in societies all over the world, they want the 
couple that bears the children to have longevity at least 18 years while they raise that kid till they're, Mm -hmm. you know, go out in the world on their own. And so I, I think that there's sort of a, a unconscious, I don't even think people are necessarily thinking about this, but I think that there's a concern that they want the basic unit of the culture, the mm-hmm. family, to be stable. So if each couple is going into their committed partnership or marriage with their eyes wide open, they've done some preliminary work on themselves and with each other, so that by the time they are bringing the children into the world, they're a solid family. And they have a strong commitment to work out whatever needs to be worked out so that they can be there to raise these kids and give them the best possible launch into life. Mm -hmm. And that they've gifted them, their children, with a model of what a working partnership looks like. And that, I think, is one of the greatest gifts that we give our kids. Now, of course, they've got to make their own mistakes and they have to do some things by trial and error and they have to, you know, learn from their own experience. But at least we give them the best possible start. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we're heading up to our part of um, an open called Open Mic, where we give you the floor to talk about anything that you're passionate about. Um, so... Yeah, I'm going to hand over the floor to you and you can talk about anything that you feel that you want to share with the audience. Thank you. Uh, Only this morning, my husband and I were working on book number five. And we have co-written all of our books together, but the one that we're most passionate about and we're finishing up the final polish work on is called An End to Arguing. Mm -hmm. And it's 101 Valuable Lessons for All Relationships. So this is not just for romantic pairs. It's also for parent-child relationships and for siblings and on the job with your supervisor and neighbors and friends. Because, um, you know, my husband and I are both marriage counselors, so for decades we've been seeing couples who are butting heads because they struggle and they don't know how to fight well. We ourselves are a couple of recovered hotheads. And so back in the day, we used to fight very unskillfully. And, but we're good students, I already told you that. We have learned so much over time from our own process, from the clients that we've worked with and from our students that we felt like we needed to gather it together and write it down and have like a manual, do you know, for people who don't handle differences well yet because there's science and an art to it. And so we have, um, one of the chapters is about repair, about becoming a champion of repair because there are going to be times even when you know better that you'll be tired or you'll be hungry or you'll be, you know, stressed or preoccupied and you'll say something that you didn't really mean. You know, maybe you hurt the other person's feelings. Maybe you had tone in your voice or you were too short with them. 
And so there are going to be breakdowns in every relationship. There are some. We try to keep them to a minimum. But how do you, when you fall down, how do you get up as fast as possible? Mm -hmm. So we talk about the art of repair, about how to make a thorough apology. Not just, I'm sorry. Oh, I hurt you and I realize I did and I am so sorry that I hurt you and it was wrong of me to fly off the handle like that. Do you know that we, we put the details on how to make a sincere apology mm-hmm. and another repair, one of the best tools in the toolkit is to forgive. And when a sincere apology comes to you, you're probably in the mood then to say, look, I can forgive you. We all have our moments. I'm sometimes tired and irritable and stressed myself. So this is so important for us to master the conflict management skills so that when differences occur, they don't have to become fights. They can just be an inquiry. If we bring curiosity and wonder and we want to learn, oh my, I never thought of that. I didn't understand how you saw it. Now it makes sense to me. I'm, I'm connecting the dots. I was so triggered that I, I made you bad and wrong. <laughs> and now I understand. You're not bad and wrong. You're just different. And thank you for being patient and hanging in there with me till you could articulate in a way that I got it. I get it now. You're not rejecting me and being unloving. You're just an introvert. You need a lot of time by yourself. Mm -hmm. I get it now. I was taking it way too personally. So there's so many ways that differences can end up being divisive and People, when they find that they're in arguments, and sometimes it's the same argument going round and round, and they don't ever really get complete on it, or sometimes they're conflict-phobic and they won't even bring it up, or if their partner brings it up, they shut it down and they say, I don't want to talk about it, or they make you bad and wrong. You're still upset about that? That happened three weeks ago. (laughs) Do you know they shut it down? We we talk uh, in the conflict book about how important it is to stay on top of things and not have unfinished business because these incompletions keep mounting up, mounting up, and mounting up. You don't even remember what it was after a while. You just know you don't feel good about the person anymore. You don't want to run over them and run over to them and kiss them. Yeah, you want to run over them. (laughs) You don't want to run over to them and kiss them. Do you know, and who had seemed like an angel before start seeming like a demon. And who had seemed like such a wonderful asset in your life starts to feel like an aggravation. And so you want to stay on top of these things so that they don't mount up. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I'm staunch about, I just am on a soapbox about it, is that couples need to check in with each other on a daily basis. If they can't do it every day, do it as many days a week as you possibly can just to stay current with each other. Even if somebody has to go out of town on business or they have to be away for any reason, 
to check in with a text, check in with an email, check in with a Zoom, check in with a phone call, check in and stay connected with each other. It's so important. Mm -hmm. And you can head off so much trouble at the pass with this regular check-ins. So my husband and I do that first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. We check in with each other, make sure How's your day going to go? Anything left over from yesterday? Anything you need from me? Um, the first thing my husband hears when he wakes up in the morning is, good morning, my love. Just want to make sure that he knows he's loved every single day of his life. Mm -hmm. Might say it again later in the day, but I want to make sure that I get it handled first thing and that we get off on a good foot in the morning that there isn't any unfinished business lingering and complete from before that's going to drain my energy or preoccupy, preoccupy my attention. And I want to make sure he's full system ahead too. Mm -hmm. So I'm very passionate about this new book that's going to come out in November. And I just feel like it's going to help the couples who are considering getting married or getting into committed partnership, it's going to have a lot, like our other books do too, a lot of jumping off places for some really juicy, nitty-gritty conversations. And all of our books do that. 101 Things I Wish I Knew When I Got Married does it. Secrets of Great Marriages does it. The Happily Ever After and 39 Other Myths About Love. And if they're really ready for a gory story... <laughs> That which doesn't kill us, how one, how one couple became stronger, the broken places is our memoir. And that was book number four. And that tells the story about when we had their reconcilable difference where we all, almost threw in the towel and broke up the family and how we were able to hang in there and learn and catch each other doing things right and look through the eyes of appreciation and gratitude put on the pink, you know, the rosy pink glasses, take off the dark ones because for a while there it looked kind of dark and we had to intentionally look at the person about their beauty and we ended up getting through that dark period that the relationship even became better than it was before the breach. So we learned it in the trenches, and so we shaping it together in a reader-friendly book, so that people people can have have a, a primer to help them with their differences. Because that doesn't mean that the relationship's not good. Actually, that can be a really vitalizing, energetic in the relationship. Because we're drawn to people who aren't like us. Mm -hmm. You know, the opposites attract. Because some very deep, wise knowing. Part of us knows they've got strengths I don't have, and I got strengths they don't have. Hey, let's make a deal here. I'm going to learn from you, and you learn from me. Yeah. So I love to hear, and I love. So, how could people um, find the books if they're interested in finding out more? If they can remember my name, Linda Bloom. Mm -hmm. They go on Amazon, all four of my books pop up. If they go to my website, they remember either Linda Bloom, Charlie Bloom, or Bloomwork. The book, or the four books pop out. And so when we have another book, then we'll put that one on there. And I want your listening audience to know that we've got free 
eBooks. And when they get on my email list, they can get excerpts from an end to arguing, 10 chapters, plenty of value in there. And there's a, a book about sexuality, 10 chapters on having a really juicy, vibrant sexual relationship. And then the 10 most important things that we learned since we got married, there are 10 excerpts from 101 things. So people can go to my website and get on the email list and then they can download the, the free eBooks. And if that whets their appetite, they can go to my YouTube channel where I have over a hundred YouTube presentations. They can, they've got all kind of free stuff on my website and maybe they'll want to read my books. And I got over 600 blogs on psychology today so they can read my blogs. Wow. That is, that is a lot of work. And that seems like a lot that my audience will definitely, our audience would definitely love to hear. Um, so yeah, if you want to know more about Linda, definitely head over to her website and you'll find basically everything that she was talking about today. And hopefully by the time that this comes out, the other, the new book will come out. So we can definitely, um, you can definitely head over to that and find the book. What's the book called again? An End to Arguing, 101 Valuable Lessons for All Relationships. There you go. So if this, this comes out by November, then you'll definitely find that book there. Um, Linda, I want to thank you so much for coming on with me today and talking about marriage prep. This is, it's been such an insightful um insightful podcast to listen to I mean I'm just sitting here listening just watching you do all the work and <laughs> just adding questions here and there to make it to add on to it but no hearing how you see not only marriage but I think see people as individuals I think it's really it's really empowering and it's amazing to hear that you and your husband congratulations on celebrating coming up to 50th it will be, it, it's going to be incredible to get to know a little bit more once the book comes out and when this is published, for sure. Well, thank you for having me. And I've really enjoyed the interview. Having fabulous relationships is my passion. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I had a good time and I appreciate your wonderful questions that gave me a jumping off place to be able to make some remarks of a practical nature that will hopefully enliven the listening audience's relationships too. For sure. For sure. <laughs> it definitely will. I mean, it's definitely opening my eyes up to marriage. And um, I mean, I'm not even near close to being ready, ready for marriage yet, but um, having the mindset in mind is definitely something that would definitely help that. Um, yeah, so thank you everyone for listening today. If you want to look for more on Linda or and her husband as well, then head over to her website. You've been listening to All Together, the Family Science Insights podcast, produced by Family Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. 
More of our work can be found on our website at fa.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Dina Sargent, and thanks for tuning in.